Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. Putin has made it very clear that he wants to reunite the Soviet Union and that he is not ethically constrained. There is no such thing as risk-free sanctions, but our risk tolerance has to rise in the face of an actual land war in Europe. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top name. There's some signs that the economy is not super robust. Pennsylvania has thousands of structurally deficient bridges. The need has been pronounced for a while, and Joe Biden got it done. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Who says miracles don't happen? Even in the age of COVID, we get an upside shocker on jobs. We'll talk about the state of the job market, how we got this number, and why there's so much uncertainty in the economy right now with President Biden's senior advisor, Gene Sperling. He'll be with us in just a moment later. Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, on the standoff with Russia and the potential for sanctions. And we'll talk as well today with Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin. The signature panelists here, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. This is what it sounded like this morning at 8.30 a.m. on Bloomberg TV and radio when the January jobs report came out. A massive upside surprise here in America. Mike McKee, run me through this one, buddy. I don't get it either, John. 467,000, and that's a plus sign in front of that number. This has been the biggest miss in history. Mike, take your time. A rather amazing uh, number. And if Tom Keene, John Farrow, and Mike McKee are shocked, well, what does that say for the rest of us? Keep in mind, some estimates were calling for a negative number. As Austin Goolsby told us just on Tuesday this week, Labor Secretary Marty Walsh warned us on Monday about what could be a very weak report, remembering the survey took place the same time Omicron was peaking. But then we saw the tape. An upside surprise like maybe we've never seen. I'll go with Tom Keene on that. And that is where we begin with Gene Sperling, senior advisor to the president and coordinator of the American Rescue Plan. Gene, I'm delighted that you're here. Thanks for joining us. I understand the administration gets the numbers on Thursday night, typically. I'm assuming that you're in that pool. Whether it was last night or this morning, were you as surprised as everyone else? <laughs> uh, you know, I used to be in that pool uh, during the Biden, excuse me, during the Obama and Clinton administration okay. when I was National Economic Council Director, but it's very strict. So <laughs> as this coordinator, as American Rescue Plan coordinator, I was like everyone else. I heard wow. exactly at 8.30. And yes, it was, an inc- it was a very, very reassuring moment. You know, I think some people have said this is the moment where perhaps we're seeing that the 
strong response, you know, not only the power of the American Rescue Plan in strengthening the economy, but the efforts, the massive efforts that have been done at vaccination and boosters, et cetera, are combining to allow us to have a very, very strong job performance, even when we faced a variant that was clearly spreading, clearly having significant issues. I mean, one of the things to remember, too, was not only was this up 467,000, but this report went back and revised up the November number by 437,000 and and revised up the December number by another few hundred thousand. So we both got 748. We learned we had 748,000 more jobs added in November and December, and we had this strong number. So I think this should be extremely reassuring for people that, that that the strategy with the American Rescue Plan, with the strong effort on vaccinations mm-hmm. uh, and booster shots, are really starting to suggest that uh, a degree of resilience in our economy that should be reassuring uh, to people across the board. Well, visibility is a real issue here, Gene. Do you have a theory on why estimates have been off, not just this month, but lately? Uh, is it is it the survey? Is it a function of modeling in a pandemic? And I guess the real question is, is it time to rethink the way labor collects data for payrolls? You know, these are all good questions. I mean, we've done the payroll survey and the household survey Mm -hmm. for so many years. And I think that, um, you know, when you think about the impact these things have, uh, you know, it's it's not that you don't have absolutely professional uh, uh, people, career people at the Bureau of Labor Statistics. But yes, maybe when we consider the impact that this has, we should figure out whether there is a way we could do better. I mean, think about it. The fact that November was at 210,000 yeah. uh, and December was at 199,000. I mean, that, that really affected people's sense of where the job market was at this point. Now we find out it was 430, you know, it was 748,000 more. I mean, that does suggest that I think the question you're asking uh, is a good one. I mean, it's been interesting and obviously a tiny bit frustrating that all of these numbers for so many months come in lower and then later get and get a lot of attention and then are are revised up. But which whatever, however, they've been reported, six point six million jobs in 2021 is not only the strongest calendar year job growth we've ever had. It's like not even close. I mean, it's it's two, two, two and a half million more than, you know, second place, which was 1946 after World War II. Wow. This is very, very reassuring about the job market. And I don't want to underestimate the degree that Americans are, you know, feeling that that no, you know, I understand from higher prices and inflation. But yeah. when we look at the health of the labor market of unemployment on jobs, Uh, and our ability to have resilience in the face of new variants, this is a very reassuring moment. Well, as a statistician, do you have a thought on how how that could be done differently? Is there a different way to look at, considering the technology we have now, what the American people are experiencing in a snapshot each month? You know, I don't want to try to, you know, as you say, come up with something uh, on a snap. I mean, obviously, you are seeing people explore new new ways. There's You've seen the pulse... uh, survey that census has done, which has given us more up-to-date information. On the other hand, we also know that that's, it's new, it's brand new, it's experimental, it's not always accurate. But mm-hmm. I, think you're, I think the question you're posing 
is, is a good one. And I think that uh, if I think our chair, uh, Cecile, of the Council of Economic Advisors, Cecilia yeah, Rouse, Rouse, and I think every chair before has always said we should invest more funds on research and data. And I think when you just look at the degree now that we all hang on these numbers, they affect markets, they affect consumer confidence. I think you're really pointing to a good issue as whether we as a country right. uh, could invest a little more in getting real-time data that is a little more uh, accurate. God knows I had to tell President Obama uh, one month that the numbers were at zero. It was oh, a man. pretty painful moment. Turned oh. out we gained 137,000. That was the day I wish we had a little better uh, up-to-date data. Uh, yeah, well, you know, it, and nobody reports on those revisions, do they? Off that, you mentioned the American Rescue Plan, Gene Sperling. When you look at wages up, uh, I believe, 5.7% year over year, you look at an increase in labor participation, assuming we believe these numbers. Does the strength underlying this report suggest that the the American Rescue Plan may have overheated the economy? Oh, uh, you know, I, no, I don't believe that. I mean, look, we did make a commitment to uh, uh, to be strong, to get our economy going. And look, let's remember uh, the American Recovery Plan in '09 did a great job of keep getting us out or keeping us from going into a depression. But we learned painfully later that it wasn't large enough to sustain a strong recovery that could handle bumps in the road and, you know, foreign, you know, uh, unforeseen, not just the known unknowns like variants, but the, you know, the unforeseen, you know, bumps in the road that can happen with foreign policy and other things. So, no, I think the strength of this is one that we feel you know, very good about now, you know, obviously, you know, you, you have a you strength in demand. It can have some effect on prices. But what mm-hmm. here's what we know everywhere in the globe, people are dealing with supply chain issues right. and very high inflation. Uh, you know, and the difference in the United States is that by several months, we were the first to get back to, to our pre-pandemic GDP levels because of the American Rescue Plan. We're having this strong job market. I think that, uh, uh, I, I think for Americans, this means way less long-term unemployment. This means less scarring from younger workers who can't get into the workforce and have their careers delayed. Mm-hmm. So no, I think we all feel that the, the this strong uh, labor market is a, is a, is a, is a positive for American yeah. workers, American families, and for not having the kind of long-term scars that often Deep, okay. deep recessions have had in the past. Well, boy, it is. Uh, it's a pretty remarkable conversation that we're having today, Gene Sperling. I'll, I'll, I'll throw this at you lastly, and I appreciate your time again. Knowing that interest rate hikes are coming, knowing that we're seeing a bit of a slowdown in the economy, even as uh, the job market revs up here in January. Of course, maybe that's not going to be the case uh, straight on through. Do you worry about the S word? I heard stagflation a couple of times today. And when you look down the road of this year, I wonder what your concerns are, if any, about that. No, uh, you know, I think that when you look, uh, you know, I understand I'm, I'm, call- I'm speaking at the White House, but I think if you were to look at the, at the people who are seen as the top private sector forecasters, mm-hmm. if you're looking at the Federal Reserve, you know, they're looking at potentially uh, a slower than, than initially projected growth in the first quarter due to Omicron, but their estimates for 2022 are actually still, you know, quite strong growth. 
and moderating inflation. So, uh, no, I, 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 I maintain guarded optimism as uh, gar- <laughs> I'll, I'll add guarded, but I'll also say optimism about <laughs> the path for this. You've year. done this before. Gene Sperling, the coordinator <laughs> of the American Rescue Plan, senior advisor to President Biden. Thank you for stopping down for us tonight. It's great to catch up with you after this, or I should say, by the way, these data. It's plural, guys. Talk to your editors. As we assemble the panel now, Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis are with us now. Uh, Jeannie, this was a little bit of a mind blower uh, on both sides of the aisle here, politically for President Biden, what he needed. Yeah, absolutely. And what a remarkable day. I, I woke up this morning, turned on surveillance and heard those numbers. And, <laughs> you know, my jaw dropped, um, you know, and it has been quite quite a big day for President Biden and quite a big week between the, the ISIS leader taken out, Breyer's seat, GDP growth. And he took something of a mini victory lap today when he spoke about it. But this is a very good je- good day. As Gene Sperling just said, um, you know, this is, you know, exactly what they wanted to see. Yeah. And let's just think about the fact that six 6.6 million jobs created in his first year. These are remarkable numbers for an economy that many people would never have predicted at the beginning right. of, of the pandemic could have gone this this way. Rick, does it get his approval ratings up? Well, it's not going to hurt him. Uh, I got to believe that it can, if he can get this on some kind of sustainable fashion, right? In other words, last longer than a week, uh, continue to press ahead, uh, continue to talk about the infrastructure bill and the impact it has, get a budget before February 18th that allows some of those funds from the infrastructure bill to flow to the states. I mean, these these are things that could help rebuild his image. And, and he has no time to spare. Those midterms are going to be on fast. And so this is a really welcome week, especially compared to the first couple of weeks of January. Uh, this has got to give them some food for thought that they, they might be able to turn this wagon around. Gene and uh, Gene Sperling was with us before. Jeannie and Rick will be back with us a little bit later on our signature panel. Coming up, we will talk with Congressman Seth Moulton of Massachusetts about all this and Ukraine. Because it sounds like we're getting back to work. Our country is taking everything that COVID has to throw at us, and we've come back stronger. I'm pleased to report this morning, many of you already know, that America's job machine is going stronger than ever. America is back to work. All I know is that the president uh, laid out a plan the beginning of last year to get people back to work. Uh, 6.7 million Americans got back to work. A massive upside surprise on payrolls, 467,000. The estimate, 125K. This morning's report caps off my first year as president. And over that period, our economy created 6.6 million jobs. You can't remember another year when so many people went to work in this country, there's a reason. It never happened. We're excited. I'm excited today. But you know something? We still have work to do. And, and you know, this celebration can last for a little bit. Yeah. And then we got to go back to work. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large-sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. 
With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services, and claims, the Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At the Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how the Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. All right, let's add to the conversation. Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts. Congressman, welcome Great to be back, back to Bloomberg. Thanks, Jeff. I'm looking forward to your insights on Russia and Ukraine. I'd love to ask you first, as a member of the Budget Committee, if you see an omnibus budget coming in time for February 18th. I know it's an important deadline, or if the government will need a continuing resolution to buy a little more time while everyone gets this all together. Well, I certainly hope we don't have another continuing resolution. I mean, let's be clear. Democrats in the House have passed our appropriations packages, and it's only Republicans in the Senate that are blocking it. And this hurts our national security. So when we're talking next about Russia and Ukraine and how we need to be prepared for these national security challenges of the future, we can't do that if we're just governing crisis to crisis with continuing resolutions, which doesn't allow the military, or anyone else for that matter, to change their budget. And it, in fact, is a pay cut for the Pentagon, is it not? And that's right, because of inflation, which, of course, is a problem. Uh, we, it's just a, it, it's a pay cut. But most importantly, they can't divert money into things that we need to be investing in away from old weapon systems, yeah. big, old, heavy things that we don't need anymore. And we've got to make those changes. It's the right thing to do for the taxpayer and also for our national security. Still, though, Congressman, it does appear that a deal is in the offing, right? Do you expect the, the 12 appropriations bills to come together? We'll actually have a budget instead of doing CRs you know, for the rest of the year. Well, we've heard from the Secretary of Defense most recently, uh, but many others, uh, about how important this is. I don't know if we're going to make it by the deadline or not. I'm hearing mixed views on that, but there's no question that we've got to get it done soon. We've been talking a lot about jobs today. Uh, we've heard so many warnings about a slowdown at the beginning of this year. I wonder if you're encouraged by, I know it's just a month, but today's jobs report and where you think this economy is after two years of covid well, in, in many ways, the economy is doing remarkably well. I mean, that's an incredible story. We bounced back uh, from COVID, and that's due to the relief packages that we've passed, including the most recent one under President Biden. Uh, we were expecting uh, a massive economic disaster, a catastrophe. People were talking about another uh, Great Depression because of COVID. But due to the relief packages through Congress, the United States of America has recovered better than any other country in the world. But there's no question that it's not perfect. And inflation is the number one issue on my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, we we saved people's jobs. Now we've got to save their paychecks and make sure that the dollars that you earn uh, are dollars that you can spend and you don't just see everything going up in price. And you have confidence in the Fed 
being able to make that happen? Well, it's up to the Fed. It's up to others, too. I mean, look, there's a lot of issues. There's no question that the supply chain disruptions continue to be a major problem. Yeah. I mean, I've just seen myself, you know, the prices of things go up almost erratically, and that's because we just don't have enough goods here in America. So there are a lot of things that need to be sorted out, but the Fed's a big pick, a part of the picture, of course. Uh, they've got a tough job, but they're, they've got some pretty smart people there, so I think they're up to the task. Congressman Moulton, I know you traveled to Ukraine at the end of last year, and at the time, you suggested that we were not adequately planning for a possible invasion. Some time has passed here, and boy, we've been talking about this every day, too. Is the Biden administration now taking the right steps, in your view, or do we need we need more resources, more troops and equipment in Eastern Europe? They are taking the right steps. They're doing basically exactly what I prescribed. I wish they had done this back in December when I, when I you know, said this, uh, and, and not just now. Uh, but we had a very encouraging briefing yesterday. I say encouraging because although the situation is dire, I do believe that the administration um, is fully aware of the threat now and is taking the, the, the kinds of steps that we need to take. Yeah. Now, the problem is that it's, it's taken a long time. And you can't just ship weapons to Ukraine now if an invasion is imminent because we don't have enough time to train the troops and how to use them. But we've got to really tighten the economic sanctions package and make it very clear to Putin that this will go into effect immediately if he pulls the trigger on an invasion. And I think we should also make a broader effort to communicate directly to the Russian people. Putin's worried about his people. He knows that they don't need another war. They don't want another war. We've got to make it clear directly to the Russian people the cost of an invasion. I mean, look, Putin has no problem trying to undermine our democracy, uh, telling lies directly to the American people through Facebook. We shouldn't hesitate to tell the Russian people the truth. What was it like to be in that room yesterday in the briefing? Congressman, were your Democratic and Republican colleagues surprised by what they heard? They were surprised, uh, frankly. I I was not. I've been on top of this issue uh, and, of course, was in Ukraine last month. So there was very little new for me. But I heard a number of gasps in the room uh, when some of the briefers, uh, you know, basically described the current situation and how dangerous uh, it is. And I, 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 that was a good thing. It was a good thing that the administration came, multiple Secretary, Secretary of Defense, Secretary of uh, Homeland Security, Secretary of State, uh, came and gave us a very candid briefing. And that's exactly what an administration should do with Congress. It's a marked change from the last four years uh, where it was hard to get anything, certainly anything truthful out of the Trump administration. Yeah. You mentioned sanctions. It's become a bit of a partisan thing. Democrats want to wait until an actual invasion, as I think you have uh, just suggested. Republicans say hit Putin now with something and hold on to the rest for leverage later if he crosses the border. Would there be a problem with the latter? It's it's incredibly naive. If we put sanctions on Putin right now, they're already there. He's going to say, well, I got the sanctions already, so I might as well invade. Nothing more is going to happen. So I think that's really a stupid uh, move. I mean, what we need to do is make it very clear to Putin that if he invades, you will have massive punishing sanctions and they'll be targeted. They'll be targeted not at the Russian people, but at you, Putin, and your oligarch colleagues, cronies, I should say. Mm. We've got to make it very clear that we're all united on these sanctions, but that they'll go into place if he invades. That's how we prevent an invasion. Punishing him now doesn't do anything. In fact, I think it might encourage him to invade. You've been in consultation with some of our allies, including Germany. 
an important meeting at the White House on Monday. What does President Biden need to tell Chancellor Schultz when they meet on Monday? Well, I actually think that Germany is a lot closer to us than the press makes out. I mean, everyone wants to find divisions in the alliance, no one more than Putin. But uh, I've spent several hours with the German ambassador in, in multiple meetings over the past month. And it's very clear that they are firmly a part of NATO, firmly aligned with our goals. They just have some legitimate concerns about how some of these sanctions and other things are implemented. I mean, I don't think anyone would disagree that after Russia, Germany is likely to suffer the most from any sanctions that we put in place. So they want to make sure that they're implemented in a way that that doesn't hurt unnecessarily the German people. Those are legitimate concerns. But let, let's be clear. Germany is aligned with us. Uh, they don't want to see Putin invade uh, Ukraine. They understand the implications for NATO and, and all of our, our allies in Europe. And so what President Biden needs to do is make sure that they are as aligned publicly as they have been behind the scenes. It does beg the question, is it possible to create punishing sanctions, as people like to say, against Russia without also hurting Europe? It's very hard. It's very hard. One of the reasons why this is complicated for Germany is Germany actually has a history of over-complying with American sanctions. So uh, when we put sanctions into place, uh, for example, to um, direct at the Iranians, um, uh, the Germans were so cautious that they sometimes took measures that really weren't necessary, but they just wanted to be doubly sure uh, that they weren't inadvertently violating any sanctions, perhaps Iranians who had accounts in German banks or, or, or whatever else. Yeah. And so actually, that's a good thing. Um, but we need to work hand in hand with the uh, Germans to make sure they understand exactly what they can and can't do so that we live up to the sanctions and they're punishing for Russia, but they don't hurt the German people. What's the exit strategy, lastly, Congressman, for Vladimir Putin? Obviously, he's pushed this pretty far already. How does he turn back or does the United States have to provide that off ramp? I'm not sure he knows. And the challenge with this situation is that his demands are completely unacceptable to the United States and to the rest of NATO. They're unacceptable to the free world. He's trying to tell Ukraine what it can and can't do. Ukraine is a sovereign nation. And if he gets away with that, it's a terrible precedent, not just for NATO and for Europe, but for the future democracy. And there are huge implications if, if Russia is successful here. And that's why we have to prevent a war from happening. It's a time to get very creative with diplomacy. And, and yes, we might have to have a, a solution that, that helps him figure out how to, how to back off. But I also think that he's underestimating how difficult this will be if he does go in. My concern all along has been that he can be very quickly effective with an invasion. If he does a full-scale invasion, it will be more successful than many people fear. But the flip side is that if he tries to stay in Ukraine, He's going to be in for a long, tough road. And that's the point that we need to make sure not only he, but the Russian people understand before they take that step. Congressman Seth Moulton, Democrat from Massachusetts, we thank you for the insights, as always, on Bloomberg. Thank you, Joe. It's Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington, and we reassemble the panel with some some more thoughts on what we just heard from the congressman. Judy Chenzano and Rick Davis are here. Rick, I know you disagree with uh, the congressman on the issue of sanctions. I just wonder if lawmakers are going to figure out their way uh, through this. We're not going to get a bill until that can be determined, whether, whether sanctions come now or after a, you know, a supposed invasion. 
Yeah, I don't think you can look at this too simplistically. It's not you either put sanctions on now or you don't have them uh, as leverage. There are lots of sanctions that are being considered on Capitol Hill and in the Biden administration, and many of them are signal sending. Uh, when you start clamping down on oligarch money in Europe, that's Putin money in Europe. Now, that's probably not going to have a negative effect on the uh uh, Russian economy right away, but it's going to send a signal to Putin that now we're going after you personally, right? That may be the kind of thing that he's looking for to see whether or not uh, it's another element of question as to whether he wants to move across that that mm. that that sovereign point. It doesn't mean you then don't follow up if he does move with many other sanctions that right. actually have a negative impact on the Russian economy. So your thought on that is well, Jeannie. I don't know if you're if you're completely in the Democratic camp. Of, of that, you know, to the congressman's point, a stupid idea to do anything up front now. But if we don't, and there is no invasion, this could go on for months or years with this buildup on the Ukrainian border and the tensions that are rippling through Eastern European economies. Something's got to be done, right? I think the reality is that this is going to go on for years, and it's going to go on for years, not just as it pertains to Russia and Ukraine, and that's, you know, enough, but as it pertains to China as well. I mean, I was so struck by the picture of Xi and Putin together and the statement mm. they released about this deep strategic relationship they're forming. This is a new approach for China. It wasn't that long ago they kept out of the, uh, you know, issues involving other countries. Now they're saying they are vowing to jointly address regional threats and challenges to their borders. This is a remarkable show of unity for these two. And I think to your point, this means that even if we do sanctions now or later, and certainly I'm supportive of sanctions and I could see both sides, whether you do them now or later, but this is going to continue regardless and it's mm. going to build because this is truly the East versus the West at this point or the uh, authoritarians versus the Democrats and it's going to continue. Time to time to uh, renew the axis of evil, I think, was your suggestion here, Rick, a couple of days ago. This is coinciding with the opening of the Olympics. Vladimir Putin's there for the party. Does that mean nothing happens in this standoff for the next two weeks? You know, I don't know if nothing happens. I mean, they're obviously still sending troops to the border from Russia. Uh, they're they're beefing up. They're probably uh, doing all kinds of cyber attacks on uh, entities within Ukraine. So they're they're continuing to play their hand. Uh, I think Putin is very skilled at putting on a public face of you know being a world leader and trying to you know fit into the in crowd, uh, and at the same time you know d you know pretending to be a KGB agent all over again. I I, I would say it was scary, as, as Jeannie said, to watch the two of them today, uh, and, and especially in the opening ceremonies when, when the Chinese had the Iger athlete uh, light the flame. The, the level of cynicism uh, around that uh, was, was incredible to me, and it really does, uh, I think, form a black cloud over the Olympic Committee for allowing these kinds of things to happen. Man, should the U.S. have done a real boycott then, Jeannie? No government, also no athletes. I have long thought that to deny the athletes the ability, we've been there before. I yeah. don't think that's effective. I think let the athletes go, let them, you know, live their dream out. But I do think they were right in terms of the governmental boycott. And I think it's important for the government officials to speak out. I agree with Nancy Pelosi that the athletes should not get involved in that because the repercussions there can be tremendous on yeah. them personally. You agree with that, Rick? The, the White House used the word genocide in the statement saying that our officials would not be attending. 
Yeah, I mean, we got to call it what it is. I mean, the idea that they would perform genocide on the Iger population and then use an Iger to light the flame is a real uh, thumb nose at the entire world. And, and, and it's up to not just us, but other countries uh, who hold our uh, values dear to, to, to make a stink out of this, right? I mean, like, I, I hate to spoil a good party. Yeah, I was amazed by the technological entertainment that they put on. That is not enough to excuse a regime that is performing genocide. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shenzano, our panel on a Friday as we talk things out this hour. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. We'll continue the conversation next with Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin. The lowest estimate on the Bloomberg terminal for today's jobs report when I checked earlier this week. We talked about this on the air then was negative 400 and something thousand. I think 440,000. That's actually how bad some people thought this would be. Austin Goolsby told us Tuesday could be negative. We saw headlines on Axios prepare for the first negative headline number of the Biden administration. And then we saw what we got. We've been talking about it all hour. Confounding a lot of people who do the surveys and making us wonder exactly how much juice is in this economy and how it's all going to collide with interest rate hikes in the coming months. Joining us to discuss all of this, Representative Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin. It's great to have you with us, Congressman. Were you impressed with this number? Uh, Were you concerned about the wages underneath the hood? How do you interpret such a a surprising bit of data? I, I think it's surprising for all of us. I think it makes all of us all the more interested to see the February numbers when those come out in about four weeks from now. Mm. I think there's a lot of questions that's in this data. I think one of it is, was January a tale of two months? Obviously, Omicron came on strong, but we're seeing indications the labor market is robust. And I think, if anything, it's telling policymakers in Washington, D.C., like myself, that now is really the time to rip the Band-Aid off the COVID-era policies and return to normal. We have to get our inflation under control. Uh, We have to get our spending under control in Washington. And I think what the workforce is saying is they're ready to get back to work and return to normal. The American Rescue Plan uh, is already out there, right? The infrastructure is law. Build Back Better fell apart, Congressman, as you well know. What what else is out there that you roll back? Well, I think you look at the uh, vast amount of money that's still to come through from the earlier approved uh, COVID package that was earlier this year. The infrastructure money is still going to go through. Nancy Pelosi continues to say that she's going to push for smaller versions of Build Back Better. And at the same time, we've had what I believe is a challenging monetary policy. The Federal Reserve has increased its balance sheet by $4 trillion over the last two years. It increased by roughly $100 billion over the last two months. Mm -hmm. And so I think the Federal Reserve is going to be coming in late to the game as they taper this off and raise interest rates. And I'm concerned that that's going to put significant pressure on the economy. I would have liked to have seen us taper that sooner. I've spoken with uh, yeah. Chairman Powell at some of our federal, re- or some of our financial services meetings on that topic. Yeah, I asked Gene Sperling earlier this week if he was worried about uh, stagflation as a possibility. We've been talking a lot about as well the potential for, you know, hitting the gas a little too hard and and ending this whole thing in a recession. Uh, that's, I think, where you're going, Congressman. I, I, I guess you're, you're not in favor of a 50 basis point hike next month. Well, I I think it's going to be coming because we do have to tame these rising prices. I'm frustrated that we're in the position in the first place. Uh, And I believe policymakers led us there with a combination of the fiscal policy with the excessive spending in Washington combined with the monetary policy. 
by the dramatic increase in the balance sheet at the Fed. So you start with a good shock to the system, 50 in March, and then you follow it up with a few quarter-point hikes. Does that make you comfortable? Well, I think what we're going to see is the Fed act in that behavior. From a policymaker standpoint, I think it's essential in Washington that we get control on the spending side. Uh, we continue to see proposals for future spending. Again, uh, Speaker Pelosi and some on the left continue to push for smaller versions of yeah. Build Back Better. I think now is the moment to really stop that and really get back to work of getting our fiscal house in order on yeah. the policymaking side. Let's talk about that in, in terms of the budget here. My God, to think that this actually gets done. Uh, I understand there's a likelihood, you can tell me as a member of the Financial Services Committee, of a continuing resolution, but it looks like we're pretty close here. Uh, how close are we to having an actual omnibus budget to, and to, to pay for this government to operate? Well, there's, it goes back and forth every day. The question is going to be, when do they get 60 votes in the Senate? We've continued, Congress has continued to kick the can down the road. Funding once again runs out on February 18th, just a week, just a week and a half away. The House of Representatives is only in session for three more days between now and that date. So I'm concerned that that Congress is going to. Well, three more days, three more days of session between now and that date, Mm -hmm. which gives me concern that Congress, instead of getting the work done, is going to kick the can down the road. It's better than shutting the government down, but it's absolutely no way to run a railroad. Well, if it's a couple of weeks, though, to to actually get this done, but you have a better view than we do. What are you seeing behind the scenes in terms of, you know, the odds for a, a breakthrough, even if it's between Democrats in the House and Senate? Is this thing close? Well, out of the the 12 major spending bills, I think there's an opportunity to at least get some of them across the line. I think the most important of all of them is our national defense. We're operating under policies from over two years ago uh, that were put into the spending bills. We are in a very new environment now as we look at the threats occurring uh, from Russia, as we have already now exited Afghanistan. So one of the most important spending bills is going to be on the national defense. Can we get that through with some others? Uh, I'm optimistic on that. I'm less optimistic that we will see a full omnibus for a full, complete rewrite of the spending uh, and, the, and coming up yet in the near future. Boy, it still would be, uh, you know, just at least a, a moment of uh, of government being caught in the act of working, right? To see this thing pass, hopefully with Democrats and Republicans, Congressman, would be refreshing for a lot of Americans. Oh, absolutely. There's a lot of policies that we have to take into account that were not in place when the last spending bill went through. The question is, can we actually break through the dysfunction in Washington, which has really seen one party rule, in my opinion, go astray? Can I ask you about uh, what happened today in the the National Republican Conference censuring your colleagues, Representative Kinzinger and Cheney, the RNC, making that move? Do you support it? You know, I, I look at all of the talk on this and think this is the distraction that frustrates so many people that I talk to at home in southeast Wisconsin. They want to see people get on with the work of governing. They want to see us get control of our spending. They want to see us get crime under control, secure the southern border, etc. Yeah. This is the dysfunction in Washington kind of writ large. I'd rather see us get focused on with the work in front of us. So a, a distraction, certainly. But did they deserve it? I mean, I, I think whether or not you get censored or not by any of these groups, I think it's more or less at this point irrelevant. I think it's time to get on with the work for the American people and get away from the distractions and the petty politics that we see in Washington. And Congressman Brian Stile, Republican from Wisconsin. He serves on the Financial Services Committee and talking budgets, jobs and politics with us on a Friday. Congressman, thanks for coming in to Bloomberg Sound on 
talking with us. Sometimes you forget you're on the radio on this program, right? Ask Rick and Jeannie. They'll be back in a minute. We reassemble the panel next. Bloomberg Politics contributors Jeannie Shanzano, Rick Davis. As we share some final thoughts on that matter with the RNC censuring Liz Cheney and Representative Kinzinger today as expected. It did happen. And we'll take a look at what's coming next week as well with Rick and Jeannie next. Traffic in the markets on the way. This is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. You need a company with extensive experience in specialized insurance. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and helping provide coverage that suits your needs. The Hartford offers insurance solutions that help mid to large sized businesses like yours effectively manage risk from liability and property insurance to workers comp and more. With extensive experience in underwriting, risk engineering services and claims, The Hartford goes beyond the expected to deliver innovative, customizable solutions and service that your industry, that your business demands. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. You know success when you see it, or you think you do. The people in the spotlight, athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Yeah, the RNC made some news today, certainly with the censure of Representatives Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, essentially for their roles in the January 6th Selects Committee. Of course, the only two Republicans. They approved the resolution, uh, as we hear from the chair of the RNC, Rona McDaniel, who was, this is as the RNC votes on five resolutions together, including the censure. This is what it sounded like today. All of those in favor of the motion, please signify by saying aye. Aye. All of those opposed, signify by saying no. The ayes have it, and the five resolutions are adopted. Thank the you, Richard. The ayes have it. There we go. Badge of honor, maybe, for Cheney and Kinzinger, but this is the RNC we're talking about. We reassemble the panel for their thoughts on this. Rick Davis, Jeannie Shanzano. Uh, is that the RNC that you know, Rick? Well, that's the RNC I know today. It's certainly not the RNC that I came into at the uh, beginning of the Reagan administration. Yeah. Uh, look, I mean, this is a, a different RNC. I think the mistake that some people are making, and, and, and frankly, even Liz Cheney in her remarks today, is that they're not being uh, influenced by Donald Trump. They are worse than Donald Trump. I mean, over the last four years, state party chairmen have been weeded out who had any independence from Donald Trump. And, and those that actually uh, believe in all the conspiracy theories and are driving Trump 
to this support level uh, are the ones who are the state party chairmen, the national committee men and committee women. And, and, and so it's, it's not like Trump has so much influence over them. They're already there. I mean, mm -hmm. if you took Trump out today, they'd still be in this position of doing these kinds of crazy things. And, and frankly, driving a lot of Republicans to the point where they're wondering, wow, I, do I really want to associate with a party that thinks January 6th was somehow legitimate political discourse? I right. mean, it's just hard to deal with. Rick uh, is referring to the resolution that reads, quote, they chose to join Nancy Pelosi in a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse but had nothing to do with the violence at the Capitol, unquote. Uh, and, and by the way, you know, we, we, we should note it also referred to senseless acts of violence. It condemned them. It, it said it did, But however, the rest had nothing to do with violence at the Capitol. Uh, Liz Cheney, Jeannie, had quite a response that included a video of violence, you know, at the Capitol on January 6th. Uh, does this prop up Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger for a much more robust political career down the road, Jeannie? You know, I don't know in the Republican Party as it stands today. And I just want to underscore what Rick just said. I think that's truly the scary part of this is that if Trump wasn't in the picture from today onward, yeah. this would still be going on. And in a country in which we have two big umbrella parties to have one move in this direction to be talking about the January 6th insurrection as legitimate political discourse. And let's not forget, this was a watered down version of what they originally tended to do which or intended to do which was they had they had called for expulsion of these people and then they moved it back to a censure which obviously has no real force and i think credit is due to people like Mitt Romney, who called this shameful in his headlining of March fundraiser for Cheney in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. I think all eyes should be on Kevin McCarthy. We heard in your interview was fascinating with Representative Style. He didn't want to touch this with a 10-foot pole. Yeah. But what they do in there, are they going to join the RNC in supporting Liz Cheney's opponent in the primary out there? That is what I'm going to be watching as we go forward, because that is going to tell us where the Republican Party is head, headed. And for a party that by by any historical estimation should pick up a lot of seats in the fall, if they walk in this direction, they're threatening their own ability to do that, just like they did in 2020 with the Georgia Senate seats. What did you make of Congressman Stiles' uh, response to that? I asked him twice, Rick. Yeah, I mean, it's a non-response, and I don't blame him. I mean, almost every one of these members of Congress and senators and even many of the governors, they don't want anything to do with the GOP leadership that's mm -hmm. in their state, right? I mean, they, they've all lurched to the populist fringe uh, in virtually every state in the union, fueled by lots of money from the Trump organization over the last four years. And, and nobody wants to attend their events. Nobody of any, you know, real capacity uh, participates in state party politics anymore. I mean, it's a shame for the party. I mean, I spent 30 years building this party myself and yeah. doing what I could to help support it and to see it in the condition that it's in. They've done exactly what Jeannie is describing. How do we get smaller? How do we get more fringe? How do we get less relevant? And they're Boy, doing a great job. That's saying a lot coming from Rick Davis. And we know that Adam Kinzinger is on to other things. Uh, Rick, does Liz Cheney get reelected? I hope so. I mean, I think really that would be uh, the one black eye that uh, the party would get in the course of this. Her success is is their failure. They've now set it up. She didn't. 
Uh, she was not looking to make this a cause celeb uh, on her own election. Uh, Donald Trump and the party have done that. So uh, good luck, Liz. I, I hope that uh, you're able to pull this out because I think regardless of all the politics involved, uh, it, 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 it at least gives hope to some Republicans that, uh, that, that, that there are people, good people, who want to do what's right for the Constitution uh, who uh, can still get elected as Republicans. Meantime, Mike Pence speaks. He made some headlines uh, today in his speech to the Federalist Society talking about, well, of course, January 6th and what he was not actually authorized to do. Here he is. President Trump is wrong. I had no right to overturn the election. The presidency belongs to the American people and the American people alone. And frankly, there is no idea more un-American than the notion that any one person could choose the American president. Under the Constitution, I had no right to change the outcome of our election. Somebody's not getting invited back to Mar-a-Lago. Uh, how does that hit you, Jeannie, when you hear Mike Pence? We've got Liz Cheney, we've got Adam Kinzinger, we've got Rick Davis here. Is the Republican Party going to be redefined or, is, or, or, or split into two? Where are we going here? I think what we're hearing is good people fighting back. I was struck by Mike Pence's language. Um, we understand during that speech, a couple people walked out, but he did get some applause. It was a friendly uh, audience for him at the Federalist Society. But his language was clear. Not only did he name Trump, he said he disagreed with him, but he spoke in really even broader terms about January 6th as a dark day. He talked about the importance of upholding the Constitution. And for Republicans, if they allowed this to go forward, the idea that Kamala Harris and the Democrats could do it in 2024. It was a really important moment. I understand people still want him to come out and answer the question, would he support Trump if he runs in 2024? He hasn't, I don't think, gone there yet. Mm -hmm. But I do think Mike Pence deserves credit for what he did on January 6th against real pressure and what he did today. It was full-throated, Rick, to hear that from Mike Pence, and we know that he already felt that way. But when we talk about the, you know, the the factions of the Democratic Party, the progressives are so far away uh, from the moderates. We've seen what that does uh, legislatively on Capitol Hill. What do we call this? What is this happening inside the Republican Party? Well, look, I mean, I think these fissures with Trump and and, and, and his coalition uh, within the party uh, have always been there. Uh, obviously, much more difficult to see them uh, through the fog of his presidency. Uh, I mean, you know, when, when you're that big a bully in the party and you pay such a huge price for being a dissenting opinion, a lot of people don't speak up. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so now I think there is a determination that uh, his influence is waning. Uh, even though his fundraising machine down in Mar-a-Lago keeps going, his numbers in the survey data when you read them, and all these people are reading them, uh, indicate fewer and fewer Republicans want to follow Trump uh, and or think that Trump has a future uh, for the White House. So I think— What's Mike Pence's future? Well, Does Mike he have Pence, one politically? I think Mike Pence did a lot for his future today. Um, yeah. It was not an easy thing to go into this crowd and 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 give the speech that he gave. There's yeah, a level of political courage that we've not seen of Mike Pence in the last four years that came out today. So I think he's trying to buy a seat at the table, and I think he did a lot of uh, good for himself trying to do that today. Imagine a Pence Cheney ticket, Jeannie. 
Oh, what a ticket. You know, I, I, I think that, you know, you'd even get some moderates uh, who really like uh, what Liz Cheney is out there doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, obviously for Democrats and, you know, particularly liberals, you know, these are very conservative folks, Mike Pence and Liz Cheney. But the way that they are standing up to Donald Trump and standing up for what is right is critically important. And I do think, you know, that we need to applaud them for the courage that they're showing. There are several Republicans who have done this and those are the people who are going to be the future of the party. It's the fastest hour in politics and a fascinating conversation with our panel, Jeannie Shanzano and Rick Davis. I love these conversations. There's no other show like it. Thanks to both of you guys. We'll, of course, be doing this again next week here. As February is Black History Month, we are also every day this month celebrating significant moments in U.S. Black history. I've been just really enjoying hearing from Renita every evening. With your installment, Feb 4 now, Bloomberg's Renita Young. On this day in black history in 1996, Republican Oklahoma Representative Julius Caesar, also known as J.C. Watts, became the first African-American to respond to a State of the Union address. He delivered the GOP response to then-President Bill Clinton's State of the Union. Watts was the first black representative elected from Oklahoma and the first Republican to win the district in 72 years. He was also one of two black Republicans in Congress in his freshman term. Watts quickly became one of the GOP's most visible spokesmen. That's Today in Black History. I'm Renita Young, Bloomberg Radio. Renita, thank you, and thanks for spending another week with us here on Bloomberg Sound On. That was a good week from world headquarters in New York to back here inside the bubble where we are ensconced once again. We'll have a lot more to follow on from the weekend. Sunday shows latest on Ukraine and Russia right here Monday. I'll meet you on the fastest hour in politics. I'm Joe Matthew, this is Bloomberg. Your industry is unique. It faces its own challenges and risks that set it apart. That means choosing just any insurance company just won't cut it. At The Hartford, we take pride in knowing the ins and outs of your industry and help provide solutions that suit how you do business. From liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. At The Hartford, we don't just talk about specialization, we live it. Learn how The Hartford can help your business at thehartford.com. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.